Your ace again. One, two, three, I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. bring you an act who at first may shock you, the Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey everybody, I'm Rob. And I'm Joseph. And welcome to the Police Deep Dive edition of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk, and new wave 1976 to 1986. It is the last deep dive of the season, so it's only appropriate that we're focusing on one of the true juggernauts of the post-punk new wave movement and really one of the most successful bands at making the transition into pop superstardom all over the course of just five albums released in the span of six years. It's the police, duh. I'm pretty excited about this. It's uh, I feel like we've been waiting to to cover the police for a long time. And I know mm-hmm. we're just you know we're just finishing up 1979, but but the police has been on our minds for quite a while. So mm-hmm. pretty jazzed about this this episode. Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, let's uh, let's kick it off um, with a song off of their 1978 debut album. This is Peanuts. Totally jazzed about this set. Um, really, really kind of stoked about it for a couple different reasons. But uh, the police, it's, I, I'm just kind of dazed by the fact mm. that, you know, they're so big and yet only five albums, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a, a pretty, pretty remarkable run that they had. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into it deeper and introducing our guests. But first, we got a couple of points of business. Sure. So as always, just want to remind everybody that we are talking about music. Music is art, and there is nothing more subjective than art. This is an opinion show, but even so, we do try to be mindful not to get too opinionated, because ultimately, we are here to celebrate this extraordinary music that was released during a pretty unique period of time. And the second point of business, the much more interesting point, is uh-huh. voting season is officially upon us. Oh, so. Boy. <laughs> so we will we will get into more details at the end of this episode. You, so you definitely want to stick around for that. But mm-hmm. just right off the top, we're gonna we're gonna uh, tell everybody that the deadline for submitting your list of favorite albums of 1979 is February 16th. Don't panic. You've got a lot of time and. The next episode that we release is going to be our little cheat sheet episode where we kind of go over 
the uh, in detail the albums that that we that we think you should be aware of. Uh, so if there's any gaps in your knowledge, and we will of course uh, list all of the albums that we've covered over the season. And by the time this episode drops, Rob, make a note of this. We will have a um, a Facebook post that just lists every single album uh, oh, yeah. that we've identified as a punk new wave album released in 1979. Um, so you can go there. If you don't do Facebook, email us and uh, we would be happy to reply with the full list. Now, I know you said don't panic, but suddenly I'm panicking. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Yeah. Okay. So that is all of the business that is top of mind for me. Rob, I I think we can introduce our guest, right? Unless there's something you want to cover. No, by all means. Let's bring them in. Okay. So I'm going to let you introduce them because you know (laughs) Tony I just met Tony like five minutes ago. So, okay, great. So who who is Tony? Right, right. So uh, Tony is an old friend of mine, actually. Um, when I first moved to, I think I must have been in eighth grade, I moved into town. And he was one of the first people I met and at this school. And uh, really one of the only people that there, one of the few people there that accepted me and, and kind of brought me into his inner circle. Um, now, the reason why Tony is on our show today is because since I have have known this guy, he has been uh, just immersed in in music. I mean, he used to carry a, a, a notebook around and write down the American Top 40 just constantly. I mean, he could probably recite it from memory every week. And Mm -hmm. uh, I was just always in awe of this guy. Tony introduced, funny enough, and he'll, he'll tell you that how he, you know, got into music, but Tony actually introduced me to a lot of music. Um, One, one in particular, I mean, a lot of music that we're going to, that we've been listening to on the podcast, but one band or artist in particular was Weird Al Yankovic, who uh, uh, we will never cover. But Tony, <laughs> Tony definitely introduced me to Weird Al. So. He said, "When you moved into town, what town are you talking about?" Ah, uh, yeah, well, uh, Oakdale, California, which is a, a little a little cow town in the Central Valley. Excellent. Welcome, Tony. Hey, it's great to be here. Thank you, Rob, for that kind introduction. Uh, he may have a better memory than I have, because I was remembering that Rob introduced me to oh. a lot of different types of music. That, well, that could also be. I think it was a little cross <laughs> uh, cross pollination there, you know. <laughs> it was. We had a, a core group, especially in high school, mm-hmm. and all of us had different musical interests. And I can't remember. Uh, Weird Al was a big part of our growing up, as yeah. well as the Dr. Demento show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it is excellent to meet you. I, I've been hearing about you for literally years at this point. Um, so my first question for you, Tony, is uh, you are here uh, to talk about the police Um and my sense is that you are here to talk about the police mostly because we've just been for a long time. We've Rob and I have been looking for an opportunity for you to join us. 
Um, but presumably you like the police a lot. Is it, are the police one of your favorite new wave bands or? They are. They are. Uh, oh, well, oh, excellent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like Rob kind of hinted, uh, you know, my early days growing up, Rob and I are about the same age. Um, but I, my parents came and immigrated to the United States from the islands off of Portugal. And so I grew up with Portuguese music. Mm. And, uh, you know, late 70s, I started really discovering, uh, I'll call it English or American music. And so, uh, Rob, uh, this might be more for Joseph, but I really got into Kiss. Nice. Uh, ah. For some reason, that translated to my uh, Portuguese to English mind. Mm. Uh, and then uh, early 80s, just music blew up for me. Mm -hmm. And kind of my gateway um, access, I guess, was when we our family got a tape recorder and I started taping radio pro or um, songs off of the radio. And that's why I listened to American Top 40 is because I could kind of predict what songs were going to be played and I could record them off the radio. Mm -hmm. And, and that, is, is, is okay. that how you discovered the police off of uh, commercial radio? Yeah, exactly right. 1983 mm -hmm. was really my pivotal year in music. That was the first year I started writing down the top 40. And so um, when you like when I look back at my life, 1983 has always been such a big year for me when it comes to music and just um, my, my personal growth. And yeah. Synchronicity, obviously, was a huge album in 83. And so I went backwards to some degree where I discovered The Police and other bands in 83. Mm -hmm. And then mostly in college years later, I went back and, and discovered their earlier albums. So let's move on to album rankings. And my understanding, Tony, is that you will be joining us for this. I will. Perfect. I'm happy to be here. Okay. So, uh, Rob, I'm, I'm pretty sure I made you go the last time, mm -hmm. so I'm happy to go this time first. Okay. Sure. I got to say, um, <laughs> going back and listening to all of these police albums, I was so bored. <laughs> I was so, <laughs> I was surprisingly bored with um, uh, revisiting all of this stuff. So I, I really don't have any strong feelings about these albums. I don't dislike any of them. I'm not super excited about them. And we're, of course, just talking about the actual police catalog, not any of the solo stuff. So my um, of the five albums, I'd say my least favorite album is their debut, Outlandes de Amor which is exactly opposite of what where I was at when I was a teenager. Number four is Ghost in the Machine. Number three is Synchronicity. Number two is Zenyatta Mandata. Quite a surprise. Very interesting album. And then um, I really enjoyed uh, visiting um, Regatta de Blanc. Wow. That's a that's a very, very solid well, they're all super solid albums. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I can tell you that my list and your list are 
totally different. We don't agree on a single one. Um, <laughs> but but what we do agree on is that they're all great albums. Mm. I have to say I was really excited to go back and listen to all these albums because I found that on every album there were songs that I just absolutely loved. Every single mm. album had had mm. some songs. Now, what I found difficult was actually ranking them because I kind of like them all the same. Mm. Um, but I I pressed through and I did give them give them yeah. ranks. So, I'll... well, I was I was excited about revisiting them before the fact, but yeah. um, I, I just I could not get into them that much. It was, it's, it's all very, very nice background music. I just, I know these albums by heart. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, uh, so I'll go ahead and start with my, my number five. Uh, number five is 1981's Ghost in the Machine. Number four is 1980's Zenyatta Mandata. Number three is Regatta de Blanc. Number two is synchronicity from 1983 and number one is outlandos dale moore to total the opposite of what yours was <laughs> almost exactly yeah. opposite <laughs> yep <laughs> so um but yeah i it, it really was hard to rank these for me because like mm -hmm. i said there there are songs that i absolutely love on every single one of them and uh i don't know i i kind of like them all the same mostly so how about you tony Going back and listening to these albums again, I think the part that I'm disappointed with is on a number of them, the B side, or if you had the old albums, just aren't as strong as the A side on a number of albums. But um, my list is probably more similar to Rob. Um, Zenyatta Madara, I put at number five. And then Ghost in the Machine was my number four. Regatta de Blanc was number three. Outlandis do a amor. I can never pronounce that right. Number two, and synchronicity. I have it number one. I'm always more of a lyrics person. Mm -hmm. And if you were to ask me what the best punk album is, I would say the first album would mm -hmm. be the best. But overall, I, I just think for me, synchronicity. It's hard to. I probably separate my teenage emotions from, uh, you know, evaluating it fairly. But it's certainly my favorite overall album of theirs, even though I would say this the first album from a punk and a raw perspective is is really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. All right. I think that is our cue to just jump into the actual albums. So let's get things started. Um their debut album was released in 1978, Outlandis de Amor. We spent a fair amount of time talking about this album last season. Because of that, we've already heard a couple of songs. We have heard the song Can't Stand Losing You, uh, Masako Tanga, and Truth Hits Everybody. The um, big hits off of this are um, Roxanne, Can't Stand Losing You, and So Lonely. Uh, Rolling Stone thinks that Roxanne is the 388th greatest song of all time. They also think that um, this album is the 428th greatest album of all time and the 38th best debut. And... 
I loved this album when I was when I was in high school, but uh, it is really uneven to me. Um, and the the big hits, uh, I just I've heard way too many times in in my lifetime to for for me for me to get into it. That's kind of a thing about the police is that, uh, yep. you know, so many songs of theirs are big hits and you, you almost couldn't escape them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. So. I, I think that for me, and I think probably for a lot of people around my age, the first police song that I ever heard or that I was aware that I was hearing was actually sung by Eddie Murphy in 48 hours. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, good old, good old Roxanne. That perfect. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have to agree with that. <laughs> I think that's how I was exposed originally. <laughs> So we uh, kicked this episode off with a cut off of this album called Peanuts. Rob, that was your pick. Yeah. Uh, Tony, you uh, get to do the honors of picking the second song to feature off of this album. What did you pick? I picked So Lonely. What was interesting, or I learned and now realize, is that Sting says he used No Woman, No Cry when he wrote So Lonely as the musical basis for the song and just recycled some of his old lyrics into that song. But I just can't convince myself I couldn't live with no one else And I can only play that part And sit and nurse my broken So Lonely is is definitely one of those songs that was played a lot, you know, over, well, over my youth. Um, but it's also one of those songs that I never get tired of. For some reason, I never get tired of it. Because I'll tell you, every time I hear this song, it stays in my head for days. Um, in fact, it's been in my head for, I don't know, like three weeks right now. But, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but, but it's a good tune. It's a good tune. And... Uh, uh, definitely a staple for for anybody that's got the police on their playlist, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. I mean, uh, we spent a lot of time talking about this album uh, before. I don't know that I have anything more to add. Do either of you two before we move on? Penis was about Rod Stewart. <laughs> so now, now that you brought it up, yeah, Peanuts was written about Rod Stewart. Um, apparently Sting, Sting was a fan of Rod Stewart and he saw, he saw Rod Stewart as kind of becoming um, corrupted by the, by, by the whole like 
you know, rock star kind of thing. He saw him as becoming kind of a corrupted, decadent figure. And so he wrote this song and said, that'll never happen to me. Um, looking back on it, apparently Sting realized that it had happened to him. And so he has changed his, his basically changed his mind and said, you know what? That song is no longer about Rod Stewart. <laughs> so, but anyway, I, I think both the songs that we're playing tonight are, uh, pretty solid tracks, pretty good tunes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, moving on to the next release, which is 1979, uh, Regatta de Blanc. Uh, we, just a couple of episodes, Rob and I spent a fair amount of time talking about this album, at which point we listened to Bring On The Night and Contact. The big hits off of this are uh, Message in the Bottle and Walking on the Moon. Rolling Stone magazine thinks that this is the uh, 372nd greatest album of all time. They actually like it a little bit more than the debut album. Um, this is my favorite Police album, which is a surprise to me. Uh, that wasn't true in the past. Um, but I just, I, I really like all of the songs. It's, it's, the songwriting is fairly interesting from song to song, but yet it's remarkably consistent in the quality of it. And I think one of the main reasons why I like this album so much is it doesn't have a like super duper overly saturated hit off of it um i think every other album has at least one or two songs that i just groan every time i hear because i've heard them so many times well i i have to say that walking on the moon was one that uh i remember hearing over and over again but mm. um much like you know much like uh, uh so lonely it's it was never a song that i got tired of so um, but but a solid album, and and you're right. I I really am happy to hear you, kind of exclaim that you're surprised at you know mm -hmm. and how much you liked it. So it's yeah, it's a it's a pretty good album. Yeah, the the energy isn't nearly as high um, as their debut album, which I think I really connected with as as a youngster. But but this is this is. This album makes makes me the happiest when I listen to it for the police. Yeah, I think we have a number of artists. Their second album tends to be very poor. Mm -hmm. But I think the police, um, what I read was they really had a lot of leftover material still yeah. from their earlier bands, from their touring that they brought to this album. So the second album is much stronger than a lot of other artists who basically run out of material after the first album. Yeah, def definitely not a sophomore slump. Um, and Stuart Copeland says this is his favorite album. He thinks his drumming is the strongest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so he's you're in good company. Yeah, well, I will tell you that um, because there's only five albums that the police released, um, we will at towards the end we will spend a little bit more time than we normally do talking about the solo output and. Um, for me, kind of what the big takeaway 
for me coming out of this last couple of weeks of saturating myself in all things the police is um for me the police all-star is Stuart Copeland um so I, I guess it does I, I think his sensibility his musical sensibilities are much more parallel to mine than say Sting and so now I think about it that doesn't really surprise me so <laughs> and especially when we're talking about you know punk music Stuart Copeland came with the his vision of a punk band versus Andy Summers you know who came from a classic rock uh background and Sting came from kind of a jazz jazz fusion band so it was really Stuart's vision mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to have a you know the punk aesthetic yeah. to the band, and Sting wasn't interested in the band until Andy Summers joined. Mm-hmm. So your mm-hmm. point's valid. Yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of big Stuart Copeland energy, Rob, let's talk about your pick off of this album. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you you kind of chuckle there. Um so yeah. so I I picked I picked on any other day. Now the thing about this is um this is definitely Stuart Copeland ha- having fun and goofing yes. around. Um it's it's very jovial. Now this yep. is uh I find this song really interesting sonically, but it's it's what's funny about it is, is as you mentioned they were bringing songs in from you know, like stuff that they just had already. Uh, this is considered a filler song. Apparently, mm. they they were short of of new stuff, um, and so Stewart just kind of went out there and was like, "Oh yeah, well here's this." And uh, I don't know. I I find it to be really cool as far as that Stuart Copeland energy. I find it to be, um, I find it to be a lot of fun. So. I would say the drumming is really good and that's it's I, super the music strong. part. But yeah. the lyrics make it my least favorite track on this album. Oh, see, yeah. Well, I particularly like the drumming in it, but I also like the vocals. Mm-hmm. It's much more raw than Sting's vocals, I agree. Cut off my fingers in the say that uh, there are a lot of people out there that'll praise this tune for being a Stuart Copeland song uh, for for being a great Stuart Copeland song and he he kind of from what I gathered he kind of shrugged it off as like it wasn't a big deal Um, but but again I I find it to be really sonically interesting Uh, the lyrics the vocals the music and uh, I kind of want more of this 
Cool. And the second song we're featuring off of this album was your pick, um, Tony. You picked the title track. I think it's interesting that the police earned their first two Grammys for instrumental performances. So the Regatta de Blanc earned them their first Grammy. So to Rob's comment earlier about the musicianship of the rest of the members, that certainly contributed to why they got the Grammy. Yes, boy, I, I tell you, I have to, quite often, I have to, like, stop and remind myself, this is a trio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, this is <laughs> this is three people making this music, and I'm pretty sure that um, at this stage in their output, they are not doing a lot of overdubbing. Um, they're really just putting the music down so that they can, um, you know, go out in tour and reproduce faithfully reproduce the songs um live as a threesome um that is that is really their secret sauce is is getting this really full rich sound with just three members um, but i have to i have to say that when you know tony mentioned how uh, Sting wasn't interested in in their music. He only really was interested in his own. But when it came to putting this song together, I think it's a really good example of how still how well they work together. Um, you know. Well, yeah, and you know, it is easy to forget what an excellent bass player Sting is. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just many times over the last week or so. I would just suddenly go, wow, that is a spectacular bass line. Um, and, you know, Sting got so much attention for him as a front man and as a singer and a lyricist and just a sort of pretentious know-it-all. Um, but he should he should not be forgotten um, as just a top-notch bass player as well. I I really like a lot of the um you know quite often when you when you've got bands with a lead singer the bass player um too the the bass parts can be pretty basic cuz they're they they're focusing on their vocals but I don't find that to be the case with with the police and Stuart Copeland I think is one of the best drummers all around and yeah, Andy Summers agreed. and his guitar playing. I think what they really brought were just three solid musicians. And that really helped with what they were doing and the evolution that you saw them go through. And Sting had said that until Andy Summers joined and replaced who they had before, who really only strummed the guitar, Andy could actually pick the songs and more complicated songs 
and then Seward, of course, was drumming was just just incredible. I, I just think that really added to what this band was uh, and what they became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on, 1980 sees the release of their third album, Zenyata Mindata. Um, the two big hits off of this are Don't Stand So Close to Me and De Do 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 De Da Da Da. This is kind of their weirdest album, um, which <laughs> which is which is actually a plus for me. Honestly, those two, the two big hits off of this album, I find incredibly annoying. They're, they're way too like nurse sing songy nursery rhymey for me. Um, and, and honestly, if those two songs weren't on this album, um, this might be, you know, a, a tie for my favorite uh, oh, police wow. police album because there there is a lot of um as far as the the structure and the approaches that that they take on the music uh feels in many ways like they're most adventuresome um and but holds together pretty well some of the songs are a little simple um a little nursery rhymey which doesn't really resonate with me but I really like this album. I, I, I think this is quite possibly their most interesting album. Well, it's certainly a, yeah, it's certainly an interesting album. I, I got to say that it's, it's kind of cool to see, like, I think this album right here is like a really good mix of um, the, uh, the talent as far as, as far as, what they can put together. I mean, obviously they're great musicians. Uh, the vocals are fantastic. Um, but the songs that they, that they put on this album are just, they're, they're quirky and interesting. So I rate it as my least favorite album. Mm-hmm. And to Rob's point, it's not that the songs aren't good. I just feel like a number of the songs are unfinished. Mm. Like they uh-huh. kind of get like, like bombs away. Um, I mean, there's a couple tracks on here, even behind my camel. I felt like they could have done something a little bit more. And because they had to go on tour, they finished the album at like three or four in the morning and they had to go. They felt it was their most rushed album. Um, And for me, I can feel it on the Mm. lyrics. So so they they have gone on record um, saying that this this album what they felt was kind of unfinished because I had, I had sort of assumed it's pretty typical for, um, you know, post-punk bands to go through a phase where they, where they um, like veer off towards minimalism. So like thinking about the cars when they, when the cars did panorama or the Stranglers uh, did Black and White, where they intentionally go for a more uh, minimalistic kind of stripped-down sound. And I always assumed that that was just sort of intentional. And honestly, that's what I like about this album. Um, it, it's, it, it is... It is more sparse. It's a little, little leaner, um, which I like. So it's interesting because Stuart Copeland has said it's his least favorite. Mm. I don't think Sting has said directly, but when they went to do their 1986 Greatest Hits album, 
Sting wanted to redo both the hits from this album because he felt they were too fast on the original album. So don't stand too close to me and to do 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 the da da da. And so if you remember, there's a don't stand so close to me, 86, because he felt the original was too fast. The two songs that we're going to feature off of this album were picked by Rob and Tony, but they are two of my favorite songs off of this album. So that worked out nicely for me. So, Rob, let's uh, we've we've already briefly mentioned Bombs Away. So that Mm -hmm. is that's your pick, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's uh, Stuart Copeland's uh, anti-war song, and of course, every you know, every good punk and new wave band has to have an anti-war song, right? Uh, especially in 1980. Um, and uh, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's it's an anti-war song, but it doesn't to the ear. It doesn't sound grim and it doesn't sound depressing and it doesn't sound stressful. It's kind of jaunty and and upbeat sounding. <laughs> so and it's very catchy. Copeland Copeland wrote this uh, song and it, and it plays on kind of the selfishness and the um, the, the power hungry you know attitudes of nations and world leaders. Um, but again, it's it's pretty upbeat and catchy and it's a snappy tune. Um, I also I just I like how they're not afraid to to turn something like that into something you know, something fun. It's, it's very jingly. So Tony, you picked another instrumental. It was, it was the second Grammy win for rock instrumental for the police. So I thought, uh, this was an interesting choice. It's also interesting because sting refused to play on it Mm -hmm. and told them that he wouldn't play on it, left the studio. The next morning he came in and saw the recording of it in the studio decided he did, really hated the song. So he went and buried it in the backyard. The uh, producer had, a, I guess, according to the story, if it's true, dig it up and brought it back <laughs> and cleaned it up. And soon you had it on the album along with a Grammy award. Wow. Honestly, this sonically, this is one of the most interesting songs that the police did. And, you know, within a given album, um, some of the songs start sounding a little samey. So it's really nice. I mean, I consider this song like a breath of fresh air when I get to it every time on on this album. Um, 
This is this is one of my favorite songs off of this album. Behind My Camel. I love the title. Um, it's it's an Andy Summers song. Uh, you said sonically it's very very interesting, and you're dead you're dead right. It's it it's so moody, and you know you can always tell you can always tell if you know the the musicians you can always tell who wrote the song because this is definitely an Andy Summers. Yeah, song. when we went back and listened to these albums, I didn't remember how many instrumentals they had. I guess I didn't pay attention to that when I was growing up, but listening to it now, I was amazed how many there were. So, so just for clarity's sake, on the the final recording of this song, Sting does not appear at all. Yeah, or, no. or okay, does so not. he 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 didn't get. Yeah, you know, <laughs> Rob, as you know, I I have I struggle with sort of. Um, impatience for sting and just his whole stinginess yeah. <laughs> and um i i gotta tell you that as we go along I, that that's just getting re- reinforced the more i learn about the police the more i i feel like you know i'm fine with just not just declaring myself not a fan of Sting. I I, uh, I I know that the both of you are, uh-huh. um, but I he's he's not my guy. I'm a I'm a Stuart Copeland guy, like yeah. through and through. I'm discovering. <laughs> yeah, he admits. Yeah, in the does. early '80s, that he acted like a a certain word that I probably can't say on the podcast. Um, so he does acknowledge uh, Sting definitely, you know, going back to uh, the one song that was written about, you know, Rod Stewart, where he said uh, Sting said, I will never be like that. And later on, he comes out and he says, I was totally like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so he he admits to his own you know, shortcomings, <laughs> which is cool for me. It's more just this whole the the whole Sting pretension um, that just gets old really fast. It's just going to get more and more pretentious <laughs> as we go through the next two albums. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The devil you say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's go there. Let's do it. 1981 sees the release of Ghost in the Machine. This is, this is where they really started um getting big here in the united states um this was probably the first time i remember hearing their music on the radio and knowing that it was the police 
So um, every little thing she does is magic was a huge hit. It is one of the songs that I just can't listen to anymore because I've just had my fill of it. Invisible Sun was another big hit, as well as Spirits in the Material World. And I remember, I have a vague recollection of in the 80s, this being, like, especially once um, the final album, Synchronicity, came out, um, this was, uh, Ghost in the Machine was considered, like, the best police album by kind of the the snobby um music connoisseurs for a long time um and to that end it is the um it also appears on rolling stone's uh, greatest albums of all time it is actually the highest rated of the police albums at number 323 um just a i was coming back and revisiting this i i was almost certain that this was going to be my number one i just remember you know it being an exalted album of theirs uh but i find it kind kind of boring um it's okay yeah you know it's interesting so you mentioned the the hits off of this album and Mm -hmm. those are my favorite songs on the album i mean they're Mm. good songs that's why they're the hits okay um and again i never get tired of them like you do but uh the rest of the album is pretty bland to me which is why it's at my number five Mm. um you know like i said i like all the albums and i like this one because it's got some great songs on it but but overall it's a bit sleepy to me well i will say this about this and the following album, Synchronicity, um, the the strong points for me is that they they re- both of these albums do an excellent job at establishing um, its own little ethos, mm-hmm. which which I really like. Um, that's probably my favorite part of these these two albums is they they really take you into its own little world. I think what's interesting is the first three albums all have the same producer and now mm-hmm. Ghost in the Machine and then we'll talk about Synchronicity in a few minutes were both produced by Hugh Padham, who also produced Gabriel, Peter Gabriel, as well as Phil Collins. Mm-hmm. And so there's more of that, I won't say corporate sound, but more of that big sound mm-hmm. versus the punk yeah. in the first three albums. I am assuming just because of the lushness of the sound that at this point they are doing a lot more like studio work mm-hmm. with overdubbing and and all of that, um, as opposed to like the early albums where they were obviously right. like... We're, we're going to have to go out and perform these songs every night, so we got to be able to, to replicate it. I wonder how, like, songs off of Ghost in the Machine sounded. Um, do we know when they toured if they had additional um, musicians with them to to replicate the sound? Because this, this is a much fuller sound um, than their early stuff. And that's what the producer brought. Mm-hmm. I think they had piano, 
uh, Sting does play saxophone, I think, yeah. on the tracks. Yeah, there's some horns going. But it's definitely a much more lush sound. That's why I think it sounds so different from the first three albums, because yeah. they certainly were going for a more, you know, conventional corporate sound. Yeah. Uh, and they recorded the songs together, but in three different rooms. Mm. So mm. Uh, the producer says part of the reason was to get a better sound. And the second reason is so they wouldn't be at each other's throats. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, it's that, it's that, I think that I don't want to, I don't know if it's what I would call overproduced, but it's that lushness that I think I didn't care for so much about this album. Well, and honestly, um, this might be overall, this might be the weakest album when it comes to distinct songwriting. It really feels like they're much more interested in like getting a vibe or a groove or a feel than um, the, you know, the songwriting structure itself. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I, I just it's it's okay. Um so Rob, what's uh what song did you pick? Well I picked a tune called One World Not Three. One world is enough for all of us. One world is enough for all of us. It's a subject we rarely mention. But when we do we have this little invention about pretending they're a different world from me. I shall find responsibility. One world is enough for all of us. One world is enough for all of us. One world is picking up with some uh, some some reggae sound. I think it's a pretty cool, pretty cool sound. Uh, obviously, it's a sound that uh, the police become pretty well known for. Um, but it, what I like about this song is that they're they're singing about how it's one world, not three, and they're kind of playing on that whole idea of a third world country, third world nation. Um, that you know we all belong in one world, not three, and so the the thing here is you know we got to remember that that the police and and sting became pretty well known for um being i guess a little bit political you know somewhat political and um there was there were some you know some benefits and some activism and and all that kind of stuff that that they were kind of associated with and part of that point is also with invisible sun yeah yeah. And, you know, that was about Ireland and police loved good controversy because that song was banned by the BBC because of its subject matter. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Well, um, of the actual police albums, um, we, I always deferred to the two of you for the songs to feature, except for this album. Uh, I picked Omega Man, um, I just, I, I think it's um, kind of the, the, the most exciting song on the album. So let's, <laughs> let's listen to that. My, my okay. one pick for the police.
Mega Man's another tune that was written by Andy Summers and apparently inspired by Soylent Green, which I think mm. is is kind of fun. Um, I would assumed that it was inspired by Omega Man, but uh, <laughs> but not so much. It was Soylent Green, so it's you know kind of an apocalyptic tune. Yeah, and, and this will be to Joseph's point. So the label wanted Omega Man as the first single and oh. Sting completely vetoed it and wanted his songs to be out first. So to Joseph's point about which songs get overplayed, Omega Man would have been one of the singles. Yeah, but honestly, I mean, I, I think Sting was probably right in the sense that I, I don't hear this as as a you know Agreed. top 40 song which is why I love it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a it, it's a little too interesting to you know to be, a, to be a every little song. thing she does is magic or yeah. anything like that. Let's move on to 1983 and the final release by the Police. Um, this was uh, this album just kind of ruled 1983. Uh, called Synchronicity, uh, a ton of hits off of this album. Um, of course, the big one, Every Breath You Take, um, all, as well as King of Pain, Wrapped Around Your Finger, and Synchronicity 2. Rolling Stone magazine thinks that Every Breath You Take is the 84th greatest song of all time. And this album in general is the 448th greatest album. Um, this is, I got bored. I, I just burnt out of this album many, 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 many years ago. However, um, I still have a tremendous amount of admiration for this album. The songwriting is really good. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, I have a, um, <clears throat> a background in audio tech and I've taken my fair share of audio tech classes and more than once this album was brought up by my instructors um, as as a like a, a perfect example of um, audio transparency so um, making sure that every element of the recording every instrument um, kind of occupies its own bandwidth so that so it doesn't become mush and you can so it gives a nice full sound but you can still distinctly hear all of the um, uh, all of the different instruments in play uh, it is it is an exceptionally well produced I don't think overproduced album no. for for the direction that they wanted to go. You, you, you know, you don't hear like a lot of like gated reverb on the snares or, or any of those like insanely outdated um, studio techniques that were really popular around, around then. So tremendous amount of admiration for this album. Just can't listen to it anymore. Just sick of it. I, I owned it. I loved it. I listened to it too many times. So I have to agree with you on that. It's it's well produced, and uh, it is an album though that I never get tired of. Um, mm. 
it was this is my number two my number mm-hmm. two album and uh for me this album is it, to me this is the police sound mm-hmm. you know it's not as raw as as like outlandos dale moore this is this is the pop band that we know this is the the new wave pop band that you know that the world knows to me this is this is them this is their sound and uh so this is forever emblazoned in my heart for some reason <laughs> yeah so i just love it so of course we've got a couple of songs uh to feature off of this album uh the first song is your pick tony um what did you pick and why of their four singles that were released it was the least popular because it didn't make the top 10, but I love the driving beat on it and how it really kind of echoes some of their earlier music with more urgency. So it's synchronicity too. going to come back to what i mentioned what I, what I said about the album being that police sound to me this song is the song that kind of encompasses that that sound this is the police song to me so it's mm. i find it funny that it that it didn't make the top 10 because to me again this is a song when i when i think of the police this is definitely one of those songs that that pops into my head so well, honestly, I am surprised that it what you know did it as well as it did because uh, it sounds a little too interesting to me to be like a top forty <laughs> hit. I see. <laughs> it's an interesting song. It's, it's, it's I'm surprised that it uh, it did so well. Yeah. <laughs> so surprising nobody. Um, as far as not being released as a single is the song that you picked off of this album. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm interested in, in, in hearing in a bit what you've got to say about the song. I picked a, I picked a song called mother and it was uh, again, written by Andy Summers, uh, the guitarist of the police. Um, and, and I, I don't know. I, I find this song to be very interesting. Well, Mother in the end. Well, I hear my mother calling, but I don't need her 
obviously I owned this album uh, when it first came out. I was at that point I was a pretty big fan of the police and um, I, I just as soon as it was released, I went out and got it and um, this was at the time this was by far my least favorite song on the album. Um, still not a huge fan of the vocals. I understand narratively where, um, where he's coming from. Um, and it is a challenge to listen to. And I appreciate that in the abstract. Um, and you know, a, a, a bold choice for them to include on such a pop album. Um, mm -hmm. I like the music much more than the vocals. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely in many ways, the most memorable song off of this album. Yeah. Well, it's and Rob, you yeah. chose my least favorite song once again. <laughs> <laughs> once again, yeah. And I think this might actually be my least favorite of the police catalog. Mm. I've tried. Yeah, it's just a just a monster, monster album, um, for sure. And that is the uh, five police albums that were released um in a period of six years quite a run not a dog in the bunch um they they went out on top which was which uh, i think is great let's talk a little bit about the solo output um of these three we obviously do not have time to cover everything but uh, since there were only five albums released by the police, um, I, I think it's only appropriate that we spend a little bit of time. Of course, uh, the notable, most successful solo career of the three was um, Sting. And he had... Uh, does anybody know off the top of their heads how many solo albums he's he's released? I stopped paying attention uh 20 years ago it's a lot it's more than 10 right yeah he's got a bunch of the first member to release a solo album was actually stuart copeland not as stuart copeland but as clark kent and i gotta tell you um i had the most fun diving back into th this album the clark kent album um this is this is my favorite album of all of the albums that we're going to talk talk about tonight. Um, it was released in 1980, and as far as I can tell, Stuart Copeland does every single thing on this album. He plays all of the instruments. He did all the songwriting, does all the vocals, um, and it is. You listen to this, and then you go back and you listen to particularly the early uh, police output, and you it's much easier to go, oh, Stuart Copeland energy as opposed to Sting energy. And man, they are completely different. <laughs> yeah. So I actually had 
this on vinyl, um, like late 80s, early 90s. I'm not quite sure how I got it. And I, I've always really, really liked Clark Kent. It is uh, unambitious, very raw, uh, lyrically unsophisticated, get going back to um, any other day that that song would have fit just fine on this Clark Kent album. Um, yeah. Rob, it was, was this an album you were familiar with? Well, it's interesting. So going back and listening to this album now, um, I rather enjoy it because, and I do really like the, the Stuart Copeland, you know, vibe, but yeah, it wasn't anything that I had any access to. I, I, had never mm. heard it before mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and i was really pleasantly surprised to 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 catch it yeah there was a, a mild hit off of this album called don't care mm -hmm. but the song that i chose to feature off of this album is a song called away from home i finally got away from home I really like this song and it's it's a boy it's a 1980s new wave tune if I ever heard one. Yeah, this this whole album is like big, hey, I'm a teenager yeah, energy. Yeah. Definitely 1980 teenager energy. Love it. <laughs> what what about you Tony? Was was this an album that you uh were familiar with? I wasn't except for uh what was on YouTube. Mm -hmm. I think the don't care song uh, was really the only song I'd heard until we talked about it, you know, a little while ago and started listening to more of it, but it definitely gives you a better idea why the first album sounds the way it does mm -hmm. with Stuart Copeland's influence. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Um, oh, should note Clark Kent is spelled K L A R K K E N T. If you go searching for it, um, this is the one song we're featuring tonight that is not on Spotify. So if you want to check it out, you will have to go to YouTube. I think is probably the, the yeah, best place. It's all over the, YouTube. the whole the whole album. I I've always really really liked. It is very simple, straightforward, high energy. Um, not I wouldn't call it punk. But it's got that like unhinged teenage teenager vibe to it, uh, which I find really appealing and incredibly unpretentious. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. I wonder where that where that that influence went. Uh. <laughs> Speaking of which, are you ah. ready to move on to Sting's? Um, debut as a solo artist yeah. this was 1985 the dream of the blue turtles 
this was a pretty big hit for him. It was a pretty big hit. Um, I remember this album very well, uh, 1985, uh, growing up as a teenager. Um, I think there was a summer where I listened to this album like two or three times a day, almost. It, <laughs> it, it, uh, it was, it was kind of huge for me in my house. Yeah, well, it was just two years after Synchronicity, and I think the whole world was just kind of hungry for more police, but they weren't going to get mm-hmm. it. So right. I, I think all eyes were on um, this release. So the big hits were If You Love Somebody, Set Them Free, Fortress Around Your Heart, and Russians. Um, Rob, you chose... Um, a song off of this album. What did you pick? Well, because I tend to be Captain Obvious, I picked uh, I picked a Moon Over Bourbon Street because of my love for New Orleans and vampires and everything dark, and it's got a real dark, moody feel to it. It was many years ago that I became what I am. I was trapped in this life. Like an innocent lamb Now I can never show my face At noon And you'll only see me walking By the light of the moon The brim of my hat Hides the eye of a beast Of the face of a sinner but the hands of a priest Oh, you'll never see my sheet Or hear the sound of... I really love that, you know, it's got this great moody, jazzy uh, kind of New Orleans vibe to it. And um, uh, again, you know, it is it is the vampire song on the album and I, I'm a huge fan of vampires, but it, it's it really, the thing that grabbed me was that sound. You know, um, it's just kind of a dark, moody tune, dark, moody vibe. Yeah, this was the album where I kind of checked out um, mm-hmm. for for Sting. Um, uh, Tony, I know that you are you are a fan of a lot of Sting's solo output as well. I am, but I think my perception or the way I look at it has always been appreciating sting for who he is versus what the police was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think if you separate the two, it's easier to appreciate his music. And he, uh, it's quoted that when he did this first album, it was his band and he was in charge and Branford Marsalis, who was in the band oh, basically right. said the same thing that you know, we were one of Sting's musicians on this album. It was not a band. Yeah. 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 So the third member of the band, um, Andy Summers, of course, released a number of solo albums as well. Um, so it's only only appropriate that we listen to one of his songs. Um, I picked um, a song. Of course, he's not much of a vocalist. His uh, first album, I think his first album was the only 
one that had vocals on it and all the rest of his output were were purely instrumentals and if you look at like the compilations and the retrospectives that he he released none of them have at least none that i found had anything with his vocals on it like from from the first album so the song that I picked to feature is called um, A Piece of Time, originally released um, off of the 1989 release, uh, The Golden Wire. This listening to this song, a uh, piece of time coming off of the Andy Summers, the Golden Wire. To me, this is it's yeah, it's something that totally missed my radar and and for a reason. To me, it just wasn't uh, you know it wasn't those stuff I was into. I mean, this is to me this is like stuff that I don't know people older than me, people the people that were I don't know maybe 10, 15 years older than me were listening to or. Or it was just, to me, background music. You know what I mean? So are you it, are are you saying it's old fogey music? It's, I'm not saying that, but I'm kind of <laughs> saying that. Um, <laughs> no, no. I mean, in nineteen in nineteen eighty nine, it's it, it sounds like movie soundtrack music. Yeah. You know, it sounds like yeah. something that would be playing in the back background of. Um, like a Mel Gibson, Danny Glover flick, you know. Uh, um, uh, although, although that was uh, Eric Clapton, but but you know what I mean. Let's talk about one more Sting solo release, uh, the Soul Cage. Tony, uh, you indicated uh, in your email that this this is your favorite Sting album. It is, but like we talked about earlier, it. It's not very punk. Yeah. Um, I lost my father a few years before this album, and Sting had just lost his father. Mm. So a lot of the songs really resonated with me. And the one song we're going to play here mentions kind of this group of crows or murder of crows that are surrounding his father, basically insinuating that there's these uh, priests uh, surrounding his father, giving him the last rites, and for me, just the vi- the li- again the lyrics because I'm a big lyrics guy, just really resonates with me, and I love this song. On a cold winter's night 
This was one of the big hits off of this album, um, as well as the song uh, Mad About You. And a couple of minutes ago, I misspoke. The actual name of the album is The Soul Cages, plural, not singular. Okay, so let's um, shift gears and talk about the remainder of the season. We are on the very, very home stretch. So as we mentioned at the top of the episode, we have a deadline for submitting your list of favorite albums of 1979. That is February 16th. So you can go to Facebook, find the post that where we list um, all of the albums were released and just put your list into the comments or you can uh, DM us via Facebook uh, if you don't want to make it public. That's absolutely fine. If you're not a, a big Facebook person, uh, go uh Please just send us an email directly. Uh, Rob, you want to give that email address? Yeah, the email address is deepdives.deepcuts at gmail.com. So this year we are opening up a little bit more. So you are invited to send a list of no less than five and no more than 10 albums. Please make sure that you clearly um, rank them so we know what your number one is. Um, and I'm going to throw a new little wrinkle in here as well. Uh, when you submit your list, uh, we encourage you to also note your favorite song of 1979. This is wide open. It doesn't have to be on an LP, it could be a single, it could be on an EP, a soundtrack, a re-release, whatever. Um, hopefully you'll keep it within the the sort of general punk, post-punk, new wave genre. Um, and if it's a more obscure song, we're, we'd be much more inclined to feature it on, in an upcoming episode. Uh, last year, we did a, a favorite songs of the year episode. We'd like to do that with 1979. Last time, it was just Rob and I. Uh, this time, we'd like to hear our whole audience's picks. Um, so feel free to include that when you submit your your list of favorite albums to include one, please keep it to one song um, from 1979 that that you feel is a real standout. Am I missing anything, Rob? I think we've got it all. That's that's great. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to the end. I mean, at the end of the year, you know that, that episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, I want it all to be over. No, it's yeah. <laughs> I am I am pretty stoked about it actually. As I mentioned at the top of the show, um, there is a uh, there will be a Facebook post with mm -hmm. the entire list of all of the albums we've identified as being 1979 LP releases from appropriate bands. If you don't do Facebook, 
feel free to email us and we will email you the entire list. Once again, the next episode we release will be dedicated to just sort of um, going back and taking one last look at all of the albums and kind of highlighting some of the the most notable ones um, to to help you along. I think in the past we've been averaging about five percent of our audience actually submits their list. So my hope is that that will go up this year. So please do. Yeah. Um, Submit your lists. Submit your list and be part of podcast history. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got one more month to go. It's going to be an action-packed month um, uh, for sure. Um, looking forward to those last couple of um, episodes where we reveal the um, top 10 albums of the year for sure. Any last thoughts, Rob? No, I think we said it all, Joseph. Uh, you know, other than it was a good time and, uh, you know, always, always in good company. Excellent. We will talk to everybody very, very soon. See ya. Roxanne, you don't have to put on the red light. Those days are over. You don't have to say your body to the night. Roxanne. Any last thoughts, Robin? Robin? <laughs> Who the fuck is Robin? That's <laughs> that's my alter uh, ego. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, let me take another run at that.